Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Ann Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Now playing only in theaters. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes film.com to get tickets now. Brett, sometimes I dream of becoming an actor. Have you ever dreamt of becoming an actor? Maureen, what is it you think I'd do for a living? Never mind, sounds like you need the New York Film Academy. NIFA offers workshops, BFA and MFA degrees and summer camps in filmmaking, acting, journalism and more, online and on campuses across the globe. To make films alongside industry professionals, explore more at nyfa.edu. Thanks, Brett. Thank you, Maureen. Look out, it's only films to be buried with. Hello and welcome to Films to be Buried with. My name is Brett Goldstein, I'm a comedian, an actor, a writer, a director, a bootlegger and I love films. As Groucho Marx once said, humour is reason gone mad. And the lady in the water is filmmaking without executive notes. Well, Groucho Marx was always very wise, I suppose. Every week I invite a special guest over, I tell them they've died, then I get them to discuss their life through the films that meant the most to them. Previous guests include Barry Jenkins, Kevin Smith, Jamila Jamil, Sharon Stone, and even Sed Grambles. But this week, it's the amazing Mr. Paul Feig. Head over to the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein, where you get an extra 15 minutes of chat with Paul. We laugh about stuff. He tells a secret. We talk beginnings and endings of films. There's no video this week, but there's videos for most of the other reps. You get the whole thing uncut and ad free. Check it out over at patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein. Ted Lasso season two and one is available now on Apple TV plus. You can watch the whole show. Super Bob and Soulmates can be seen on Amazon Prime in most countries. So Paul Feig. Bloody hell, come on. Paul Feig. Paul Feig is a writer, director, producer, comedian, creator, everything. He's responsible for so many wonderful things, including most of your favourites, from Freaks and Geeks to Spy to the most repeated film on this podcast, The Brilliant Bridesmaids. I was very grateful to meet with Paul over Zoom. We had a lovely conversation. I think you're really going to enjoy it. I was very grateful for his time. So that is it for now. I very much hope you enjoy episode 190 of Films to be Buried with. Hello and welcome to Films to be Buried with. It is I, Brett Goldstein, and I'm joined today by an actor, a comedian, a writer, a director, a producer, an executive producer, a creator, a maker of at least three of your favourite all-time things of all time, at least. I can't believe he's here. It's a huge honour to have him. Please welcome to the show. It's the brilliant, it's Mr. Paul Feig! Oh, Brett, my God, I can't possibly live up to that. That's wow. it's too much. It's just too much, my friend. <laughs> it's all true. It's very nice to have you here. Thank you for doing this. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. This is a, It's such a fun podcast. I'm thrilled to be a part of it. No, I don't embarrass myself terribly. <laughs> well, this is good. I've got so many things I want to ask you, if I may. First thing yeah. I want to know is, were you a stand-up? Were you, are you a stand-up? I was. I was. I, I made my living as a stand-up from uh, about 1985 to 1990. So five years of professional stand-up. Long time ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And do you ever miss that? 
I, I don't actually. I mean, I, I mean, I, I do miss the art form of it. It was, it's really to me, stand up sort of the purest of all art forms because it's yeah. literally just a person and a microphone. Yeah. Um, and so there's something wonderful about that. And, you know, and uh, Judd Apatow, who I've worked with a lot in the past, you know, he's doing stand up yeah. full time now and he loves it. And I think that's great. I just, I don't know. I just, for some reason, the club scene, it all kind of, I leave it behind me. I leave it to people who are much more enthusiastic about it than, <laughs> than I am anymore. <laughs> that's interesting. And one thing I'll say up front, I'd say um, Bridesmaids, which you made, comes mm-hmm. up on this podcast probably more than any other film. I'd say oh. when, when oh. asked what people's funniest film is, that that's probably 60% oh. of all answers is Bridesmaid. Wow. Nice. What's wrong with the other 40%? Ha, what do I want to tell you? Uh, No, that's, oh, that's, I love, that's, that's a great honor. I really um, love that. Uh, But you're, you're, you know, you're very good. You're very good at collaborating and finding, and I wonder if you can, you know, with Freaks and Geeks, which is one of my favorite things ever, Freaks and Geeks, Bridesmaids, you know, you've got an eye for talent. You know, you seem to have discovered a lot of people who've gone on to become massive things. Do you have any idea what that is, or is it just instinct on your part? Yeah, you know what? It's. I mean, honestly, it's. I think all of us know when you see something great, you know. And I think the the biggest thing is to just leave yourself and your mind open to it. You know, that's what casting really is. And you know, a lot of times when you're working on like a TV show, like a weekly TV show, the casting session is like one casting session, and they bring in five people, and you go like, oh, okay, they were the best. But, yeah. you know, when you're doing casting something bigger, either like a, for, for an entire series or for a movie, you know, you take your time and you bring a lot of people in and everybody you see, you know, you're always going to see somebody good. Like casting directors aren't going to bring in somebody bad. So, you know, either they're right for the role or they're not. And, you know, you, so you see all these people and you go like, oh, they were really good. Oh, they were good. And I'm always writing a list like, oh, yeah, they could they could be good in this role. They could be good in this role. But then suddenly somebody will come in and you're just like, boom, and it just like blows everybody else out of the water. And you're like, that's the yeah. person. So you just kind of, you really kind of lay in wait for those moments uh, and, and have to be in tune enough to to realize them and also be able to adjust the role if you go, they're not exactly what I had pictured, but they're so good. It's better for me to adjust the role than to go like, well, you were great, but you're not quite like the person I, you know, based it on. You know, that that's how I think yes. a lot of mistakes are made in casting. That's really interesting. I, I, I think, I mean, I'm sure I've talked about this before, but I think that's very much what happened with Keely in, in Ted Lasso is I think Juno yeah. Temple was so good, but she was not quite what we had written. And it was right. like, well, let's just make it more her because it's fucking better. <laughs> it's, it's a yeah. better this is no, better. it's true. And, and, yeah. And like you say, it doesn't mean somebody's not good. It just means they're, yeah. you know, there's just not right for the role. I mean, you know, when I was an actor, I was an actor for years. Um, yeah. And it was, uh, you, well, you know, this is an actor yourself. You go into these auditions and you're like, oh, I, I stumbled on a word and, oh, I, I should have, you know, uh, you know, been better at that. And I blew it. And then now when I'm casting, I go, there's people that can't even get through, like, uh, you know, the sides. <laughs> but you're like, I don't know, there's something interesting about that person. Yeah. I want to write for that person and change it around for that person. So, you know, yeah. you just got to be open. That's really interesting. And in terms of directing, I heard you, I think it was on Mark Marin. I've thought about this a lot since I heard this, but you were talking about that the tragedy of being a comedy director is you can't show off. You have to frame it right and step back and you can't do any like Scorsese stuff and go, look at me, look at me. Is that yeah. Right? I mean, you, you shouldn't. I mean, you know, yeah. I've been, I've had that, that theory proven and misproven over the years. <laughs> you know, when I went to film school, it was very much about, the director does not put himself, you know, his, his, you know, does not draw attention to himself. 
meaning yeah. you know if you're doing like a big crazy shot everybody's going like oh that's such a cool shot now you're not in service of the actors and you're not in service of the story that's what i was taught and so yeah. you know i was always very functional in what i would shoot but then you know directors like spike lee and all these other people and now you look at movies you know everything's got all these crazy shots and them but they kind of work and the audiences sort of expect them and so you don't have that and look I, i'm not a believer of just put it in because it's nuts but like if it's a great way to illustrate a feeling or an emotion you're trying to get across to the audience then yeah why not do a, like a, a shot that's evocative and, and a little bit showy the other question I have, but I suspect your answer is going to be the same as for casting, which is you've done so many different types of film as well, different types. Then none of them are actually similar. They're quite, I mean, they're they're all funny, but they're all wildly different. Yeah. And I wonder yeah. what it is that makes you go, that's the next project. Or is it just something comes along that is you can't say no to? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's either yeah, it's either something comes along that you're like, oh man, this is a, a genre I've always wanted to do, or oh, this mm. is the kind of story I, I've always wanted to tell, or if it's something you come up with on your own, it's just this burning idea that hits you, like I got to do this. And for me, it's usually based on a genre. I'm really trying to work my way around the genres just because I find them really fun, you know. And, yeah. I, and I think it's what what's great about a genre is it brings a lot of tropes with it that you can either then play with or subvert. Uh, and have a lot of fun with. And so, you know, like a movie like Spy or The Heat, you know, those are clearly taking two very established genres and sort of flipping them, but also treating them very serious, too. Like, I don't want to yeah. do, I never want to do spoofs or parodies or satires. I, I have no interest in that. I just want to make a funny version of a real spy movie or of a real buddy cop comedy. Yeah, that's great. And what the two new things you have coming, mm -hmm. two new TV shows? Tell me about them. Yeah, they just they just came on the air. Um, one is called Welcome to Flatch, which is on Fox uh, here in the U.S. And then um, we have another show called Minx, which is on HBO Max. And they both started streaming on the 17th. So I'm um, very excited about that. And, and what was your part in those shows? Are you creator? I'm an executive producer on both of them. Uh, for Flatch, I, I directed the first three episodes and wrote two episodes. And then for Minx, I was an executive producer just to... Watching these amazing people do their thing and trying to trying to protect them from <laughs> any bad that might happen. It's fascinating. What a fascinating life. <laughs> oh, Paul Feig. <laughs> oh, no. I've forgotten to tell you something. Uh oh, yeah, go ahead. Oh, fuck. I was just talking about what a fascinating life you had, and then I've <laughs> just remembered. Uh you've you've died, you're dead. Oh dead. really? What happened? Yeah. You tell me, how did you die? <laughs> did I die? Yeah, you're dead. How did you die? Oh, really? Your... Yeah. So sorry. I mean, it is a shock. It's a shock to everyone. But yeah, I, I know. know. Well, I I, I felt I felt a little bit weird, but uh, yeah. but here I am. <laughs> how did how did you die? What would be your dream death? My dream death. My dream yeah. death would be. Gosh. Um, well, I mean, that's it's an interesting question. I mm. I don't. I, here's the thing. I don't want a funny death. That's that's right. my. That's my desire. I, I don't want to sort of like, oh, ha, ha, he, you know, and it's always it's usually something terrible, like you stuck something in something and then it's like a cuter <laughs> number, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So I don't think I want an ironic death. I don't think I, I would enjoy <laughs> you that. You want a sincere, real I want death. a sincere, yeah, exactly. Like yeah. either very peacefully going or, or you know, something kind of, well, I, don't know, I don't know if I, I was going to say a spectacular death, but I don't know if I would enjoy that either because it sounds like it might be kind of a drag. So let me just. Well, it depends just on how. Point. I don't want to die in public. That I do know. Oh, okay. Having been a stand-up, <laughs> I died <laughs> several times in public. Trust yeah. Me. 
Um, no, I, I hate the idea of like you're in a restaurant and oh, and you fall to the floor and he's rushing around and there you are and then you're, you know, this body laying there. I'd, I'd rather just happen somewhere that, you know, nobody, nobody knows. Like a cat, like take yourself off quietly like a cat and die in the woods. Exactly. Or an elephant off to the, off to the graveyard and just fall okay. over and then people go, oh, he was a nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that. I, I've always thought it's slightly weird, the idea of being surrounded by loved ones. I think I always feel like, don't you want to be alone? Like, it's such a weird sort of... Yeah. It, it, I don't know. I mean... Well, I, I, I don't like the idea of dying and not being found for, for days. <laughs> That's not a great thing either. Or like the dog eats you, you know, you're like, yeah. oh, no. Th- th- because then it's kind of a funny death. <laughs> Tragically funny. I will make sure that, that whatever happens is very sincere and not humorous at all no one will be laughing about how paul fig died all right good thank gonna, you thank you even, even if it did, even if it was a funny death please rewrite <laughs> yeah, it, I'll keep it to quiet. make it make it make it uh, uh, emotionally tragic but but uh, uh, yeah. morally uplifting at the same time yeah you want a poignant death that's what you want yeah there you go exactly yeah uh do you worry about <laughs> death paul fig is it something you think about um i mean there's periods in your life when you think about it it's weird it's like I, I was, I used to get freaked out at like, you know, birthdays and especially like, oh my God, I'm turning 30. Oh, I'm 40 or oh, I'm 55, you know, and I hit it, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm turned 60 this, this, I will turn 60 in September. Right. And I now realize, I look back at every single time I was like, oh my God, I'm so old and go like, fuck you, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you're younger than you are now, you know, so yeah. I'm kind of like, okay, so now I'm planning for when I'm like, you know, hopefully 90 and I go like, yeah, I'm not going to get upset when I turn 60. Um, you know, one of my best friends in the world, Delphine Mann, she's 90 two years old she's the most vivacious person I ever met she drives herself to palm springs every week she's still weekend she's still a, a realtor and in beverly hills yeah. so i go like you know what when you're friends with somebody like that you can't complain about your birthday like, oh god i'm six i'm so old she's like eh. <laughs> screw you <laughs> so i was like okay so i'm just i'm very cool about it as far as dying you know you know it's like Sure, you, you kind of worry about it, but at the same time, you go like, eh, you know, what am I going to do? It's going to happen, so let's not waste yeah. a lot of time worrying about it. What What do you think happens when you die? Do you think there's an afterlife? Um, I'm a bit of an atheist, so mm-hmm. I, I, but I, I do think there is an, I, I think we are all energy, and I kind of feel like that energy goes somewhere, but not in a religious way. I just think you kind of, I don't know. I mean, beyond that, I don't have any real deep thoughts on it. I, when I was in my teens and 20s, I could have gone on for, for hours yeah. about this, as all teens and 20s and year olds can do. Uh, but now I'm like, yeah, I, I think, you know, I, I, I don't like to believe it's just that's it. And then mm. there's just, you know, then you're gone. But it, any conscious being can't possibly, uh, you know, conceive of the idea of being nothing. You know, it's just yeah. not a natural state to think about. Well, you're absolutely right because uh, there is a heaven, so it doesn't oh. end there. And, oh, good, uh, excellent. Well, it's good to know, Brian. <laughs> yeah, you're you're welcome inside it as well. Everyone's a big fan; they're really happy to see you. Oh, it's it's filled with your favorite thing. What's your favorite thing? <laughs> uh, it would be a martinis <laughs> gin. Okay, it's absolutely made of martinis. The seats. Oh, the seats are like those cocktail glasses that they used to like advertise Earth Girls Are Easy or whatever. You know what I mean? Right. That sort of oh, yeah. that sort of look. And everyone <laughs> carries martinis around. Everyone's oh. it's very erudite actually. This this heaven and oh, uh, my. everyone's delighted to see you. The cocktails are perfect. <laughs> everyone wants to talk about you, and they want to talk about your life, but they want to talk about your life through film. 
And the first ah, thing good. they ask you is, yes. what is the first film you remember seeing, Paul Feig? The first film I saw was a double feature, actually. Ooh. I was very, very young. I was probably five or six, I think. Mm-hmm. And it was a double bill of Winnie the Pooh <gasps> and Robin and the Seven Hoods, which was a oh, wow. Rat Pack movie. Yeah. And, yeah, so I, my mother took me, and uh, I was known as being a very... Uh, chicken kid. I was very afraid of loud noises and thunder and anything. I would dr- cry at the drop of a hat. I was just terrified of the world. And so she takes me to see Winnie the Pooh, and that's so much fun, you know. And I'm like, oh yeah, I loved it. And then on, on comes Robin and the Seven Hoods, which is this sort of you know prohibition era comedy musical. And it starts with this big scene in a speakeasy. And Sammy Davis Jr. starts this dance number with a with a Tommy gun, with a machine gun, and just all over the place. And I burst into tears and have to be taken out of the theater, screaming, oh, crying. So there you go. Entranced and traumatized by the movies in one single setting. That's not a bad start. Where where was this? Where, where in the world was this? This was in in, in Michigan, in uh, Mount Clemens, Michigan, where I grew up, right out, about twenty minutes outside of Detroit. And you were only child. Yes, I was an only child, so that's how you get away with being such a cry baby. (laughs) (laughs) That's really interesting, actually, yeah. No one goes, shut up. Yeah, exactly. That's like, oh, little Lord Fauntleroy is not happy. Let's let's get him out of here. Did you go to cinema a lot with your with your mum? Yeah, uh, well, yes and no. Uh, occasionally, because I she had to drive me usually, unless it, unless right. there was a there was a theater like down the block from us I could walk up to called the Parkway, but uh, they didn't show the greatest movies there. That you always had to go like to see Star Wars or something. You had to drive to Dearborn to the Americana right. to see it. But I had a very traumatic experience with my mother once because she took me to see Nashville. Robert Altman's Nashville because she was like, oh, this is supposed to be so great, but it's the first time I'd ever seen nudity and sex in a movie and I'm sitting there with my mother and just absolutely horrified <laughs> and she was uncomfortable too so it was just, everybody was uncomfortable and at some point, somebody get I, I forget it was uh, um, Geraldine, Cha- oh wait, one of the chaplains is in that I think, and she gets out of bed and like, in her her naked butt is exposed for a minute. My mother goes like, oh, and she was all like in, <laughs> angry about it. And I was like, oh, God, please let this movie end. Please, God. <laughs> and it's so long as well. And you were like, oh, God, there's oh, yeah, only another totally. two hours left. Yeah, that ends with somebody getting shot. It's the weirdest ending. Yeah. Like somebody gets shot at a concert and then the concert immediately starts up again, which yeah. I was like, is that how life works? Like, you can get killed. But also I grew up, you know, I was a kid in the 60s where everybody's getting assassinated. And so it's why, you know, I had moments of wanting to go into politics when I was younger, but I was like, no, if you go into politics, you get assassinated because that's just what everybody did in the 60s, apparently. Yeah. Did you really want to go into politics? I had moments of it, yeah. You know, I mean, because, you know, before I kind of discovered I could could do okay in showbiz, Mm-hmm. You know what was what's the they what did they say in in, in Washington uh, politics is just uh, Hollywood for ugly people and <laughs> and so I, I qualified definitely on that that regard. Um, and I thought it'd be kind of cool, but then I'm so glad I didn't because I don't know. I, yeah, what I deal with, just dealing with with like people on the internet and trolls on and you're like okay that must be politics times a thousand if you're in yeah. charge of something. Oh my god! <laughs> what is the film that made you cry the most? We already know you cry. Yes. Um, it was actually a more recent film within the last number of years uh, called the, the Butterfly and the Diving Bell. I love that film. I was literally talking about it yesterday. I think it's fucking really? beautiful, that film. Yeah, genuinely. It's, I, I think I, yeah. I think it's... Yeah, go on, please. You, you no, no, please. No, but I, I, with you, it's, it's a gorgeous film. And my father had Parkinson's and he was blind from diabetes. So, so I really kind of... 
it just hit me in that way, especially towards the end. Just at the end, I just kind of fell apart because mm. this guy trapped in his body, you know, and it was just like, and it's just, it's so beautifully done. And even just the end credits with the ice falling into the water, it just, I don't know. I was just an absolute wreck. My, even my wife was kind of looking at me like, what's, what's the matter with you? It's like, I don't know. Just reminding me of dad for some reason. Yeah. So yeah, that one was very effective. The reason I love that film is it's like, I, I put off seeing it for years because it just sounded so depressing. For the listener, if you haven't seen it, it's a true story of a man who had locked-in syndrome and he could only move one eyelid, basically. He could only see out of one eye and move that to communicate. And it sounds yeah. horrendous. And obviously it is horrendous, but what's it's a really kind of sensual film and the camera is his eye for the first half an hour. And the way yeah. that everyone treats him is so loving and it's just that thing of like humanity that if someone was that vulnerable, people are... S- are lovely like i just yeah. found it really weirdly kind of beautiful in because of that because of just this amount of love that's been kind of poured into the camera you know what i mean oh totally i mean no i mean yeah. it's, you know the nurses getting them you know they he can only communicate by blinking and they have a whole code oh. and they teach it to him but yeah you're just so in his head and it's yeah. you know i just i i love all my movies are really kind of point of view movies i call them like they're all happen from the lead character's point of view. So you don't, yeah. you know, there's exceptions to the rule in some of my movies, but you don't tend to go away like, and now let's go to the bad guy's lair and hear what they're planning them. Oh, our hero doesn't know about it. So, you know, we kind of yeah. I, I like to stay away from that. But um, yeah, I, I just think that's a, it's a great way to mm. um, tell a story. Yeah. Really good answer. What is the nice. film that scared you the most? Do you like being scared? Boopfeek. I did not used to like being scared. And only honestly, I got to say in literally like the last two or three years have I gotten into more scary movies and horror movies and, and, you know, cause, cause I, I, I sold this movie to a uh, universal that I wanted to direct called a uh, uh, dark army, which was a monster movie based on, you know, the old James whale, you know, uh, right. Frankenstein, Dracula, that feel of movie. And it, so in writing that, I was like, I got to really, you know, get into, into scary movies because I was terrified of scary movies as a kid. And, I, and I, when I would get taken to one, I would be so angry at the movie that it scared me so much. Um, <laughs> and the two movies that scared me the most, I have, I have to take two. There's two that traumatized me. One was Jaws, which just because I again, I, I wasn't used to scary things. I avoided that kind of thing. But it was this big blockbuster in my neighbor who was, you know, my Mike Sampson, who's my my film buddy. We were it's right. sci-fi nerds and film nerds. He's like, we got to go see this movie. It's about the biggest hit. And you get in the places packed. And I was just like, just terrified to the point where when I got home that night, I took a bath. And I remember being in the bathtub, looking around <laughs> and like completely traumatized. Like I thought there was a shark would be in the bathtub. Like that's yeah. how bad I was, you know. But I've never heard a bigger scream out of an audience as when that face appears in the hole in the bottom of that boat. I, I have never heard an audience go that crazy before or since. And, and you go, that's the power of film, man. And that, yeah. that's, you know, all of us who make movies feel this way, but especially with comedy. That's why I like comedy and horror at the same time, because you can have something that scream and then laugh. You know, like we have a scene of The Heat where where Melissa uh, McCarthy has to put this knife back into Sandra Bullock's leg. And the audience just goes crazy because they're just screaming, but they're laughing and they're horrified, but they love. And, and yeah. it, like to elicit that kind of, uh, you know, emotion out of an audience is really exciting. And then the other movie that then absolutely killed me was, was Alien, the first Alien. And yes. I have an interesting story on how I ended up at Alien. My, my friend and I were such sci-fi nerds. I mean, just you know, the worst. And <laughs> I was supposed to go to uh, the homecoming dance 
and I invited this girl in my, in my class and she was a lovely, lovely person. But then Mike says to me, he goes, um, alien is opening on Friday night. We got to go see the first show. I'm like, oh, that's the night of the homecoming. Wait, I got to. And I was like, okay, let me get out of it. <laughs> and so <laughs> I, I pulled out that week, like literally like maybe three or four days before the homecoming dance with some lame ass, you know, I was like, Oh, we got to go visit my aunt. And we can't get out of it. And this girl just looking at me like, are you kidding me? This and is amazing. Just terrible. So then, so there I go. Off I go with Mike. Because I'm like, oh, this is going to be like a fun sci-fi movie like Star Wars. Sit down. And this movie starts. And from the very first second you go, this is the scariest thing I've ever seen in my life. I'm going to have a heart attack. And I was literally sitting there absolutely numb. Numb with fear. The, I mean, they're going through the thing, and they're finding the eggs and everything, and then and it just gets worse and worse because then it pays off in terrible ways. And I, I was just going, this was my punishment for for canceling on that girl. Then I found out that that Monday that the guy she went with now their boyfriend and girlfriend, and she never looked prettier. And I go like, okay, I'm just a fucking loser. <laughs> that is extraordinary. I mean, that is so interesting. You went on to make Freaks and Geeks, and that that, that is the like the only time, only version of that story I've ever heard where you turned down a girl to go yes. to do something. Amazing. Yes, and and I was not a guy that got a lot of dates. Let's just say that. That, so <laughs> that's amazing uh what is the film that you love it is not critically acclaimed most people don't like it but you stand by it to the death well i think maybe people might now think it's cool but it was not thought of as being cool for a, a long long time and that is um rudy ray moore's the human tornado which i think is one of the greatest movies ever made <laughs> i don't know that film is that dolomite yeah it's dolomite, dolomite film yeah, it was the second I love Dolomite, that Dolomite film. film. Everybody yeah. knows that first Dolomite one, but but not a lot of people know The Human Tornado, which is just bananas. And it's kind of a stag film a little bit because and I forgot because I I the, uh, a few years ago the Austin Film Festival they had me program like a double feature of two movies that I love. And so I showed What's Up Doc and then I showed I showed uh, Human Tornado, which people loved, but there's a big section in the middle that is clearly a stag film of like, you know, this naked woman running around and there's this endless kind of sex scene. And I was like, oh, no, like I, I forgot <laughs> this was in there. And then I felt really shitty. But people kind of took it in the, took it in the right, uh, right way. But it's, it's funny. It's so self-aware. The opening credits yeah. are the greatest. The opening credits, he's got the, the titles are written on the back of a cape. And he keeps, like, coming out with his shirt off, preening around on this mountaintop with his cape. And then at one point, like, he's being chased by hillbillies. And he jumps out of this car and rolls down a hill. And he goes, like, hey, that's done so great. Back it up. I want to see it again. And so the film backs up and he jumps out again. <laughs> and it's lots of that kind of madness in it. And there's at one point there's witches and zombies and it's, it's it, treat yourself, my friends, to right. the I'm, human tornado. I'm making a note. That's exciting. <laughs> now on the other end of the scale, what film did you used to love, but you've watched recently and you don't like it anymore? It may be for personal reasons. Yeah. Um, you know, when I was, when I was a teenager, uh, 1941 came out. Uh, Steven Spielberg's big comedy. And we thought it was the funniest thing we've ever seen. We just, I mean, it was the the level of destruction in it and just cool special effects, just everything blowing up and cool models and airplanes and all this stuff. And just, you know, they destroy a house at the end. We just thought it was the greatest thing. But over the years, I've watched it and go like, eh, it's okay. It's not, it's not really. <laughs> it, 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 I, I admire it still because it's so nutty and he really goes for it. But mm. it, it's... It's sort of, uh, you know, and Spielberg's one of my heroes, so I 
say this with love, it's sort of a a freshman effort from somebody who doesn't normally do comedy. And Mm -hmm. so people who don't normally do comedy go like, make it gigantic. And then that's going to be funny. And so everything's like it up here. And it's just every, every performance is just through the roof, you know, but there's still some amazing stuff. There's some of the the miniature work in it is the coolest thing you've ever seen of these, these uh, fighter planes going down Hollywood Boulevard. Um, Really cool stuff. So, so I do, I still have a soft spot for it, but it's, it doesn't hold up the way that I thought it might when I watched it a few years ago. Well, it's nice to hear it because people are never nice about that film. At least you did like it. Yeah, I, I've not really heard that. Well, that's the thing. When it came out, I remember we saw it, loved it, and then we started mm-hmm. reading all these things about like, oh, the guy that you know directed Jaws made this comedy and it's ruined his career and everybody hates it. And we were like, we we saw that movie. We thought it was really funny. But that was <laughs> that was the thing growing up in Michigan before there was internet and before there was yeah. a lot of like you know hyper. Uh, attention on on Hollywood in box office and all that is you would just watch something and go like oh I really like that I remember Mel Brooks had a TV show called When Things Were Rotten it was kind of like a Robin Hood comedy and we thought it was the funniest thing every week we would watch it and just so excited and then when I got out of Hollywood I found it was like a famous disaster that like it got no ratings and everybody said it was like one of the worst shows ever and you're like okay but I, I kind of miss those days when you could just form yeah. your own opinion and like something yeah me too man what is the film that means the most to you? Not necessarily the film is any good, but because the experience you had around seeing it will always make it special to you. I have a few movies like that, but the, the one that I think of in this moment is The Conversation, uh, Coppola's oh, wow. movie, The Conversation. And what it was is I was such a comedy nerd, you know, sci-fi nerd, but definitely a comedy guy. All I wanted to do was comedy. And I, was at, I wasn't in film school. I was at, U- I was at uh, Wayne State University in Detroit, going for like a mass communications degree because they didn't have a film degree there, obviously. And um, I took this film studies class. And I, again, I was just like Marx Brothers movies and just, you know, Three Stooges and Bugs Bunny. That's all I cared about is just that kind of comedy and Monty Python. And then I watched this, you know, the conversation and it just transported me in a way because it was so haunting. It was so, the characters are so interesting, but to me, it was the soundtrack. It was this David Shire did this just solo piano soundtrack. To, to me, is one of my two top soundtracks of all time because it's so effective and it's so haunting, but it's so beautifully composed. And I just remember just kind of walking out of out of that film. We saw it in a classroom. It wasn't even a theater. I'm just almost kind of like a little bit numb of like, oh, this is what you can do. Like. I didn't necessarily go like, I'm going to do drama now. I was like, wow, you can bring these other elements into a film and, you know, with like a cool soundtrack and tell like a, you know, a deeper story. But then I was always like, but maybe you can do it and, you know, and still keep the comedy about it. Cause there's some very funny moments in, in that, yeah. in that, you know, some of them are kind of misogynistic, I hate to say, but, um, but there's, you know, John Cazale is amazing in that movie. Yeah. yeah it, it's just, it's just a killer film. So I'll always have a real soft spot that I always feel like that kind of knocked me out of being a kid and kind of into being an adult a little bit. I, I watched that film quite late. I only watched it. I think I watched it in lockdown for the first time and uh, oh, wow. it's fucking brilliant. It really it's is so like, good. it's as good as they say. <laughs> it's really yeah. good. Yeah. And it's shot so great. It just looks yeah. gritty and, Oh, oh man, it's so good. Yeah. What's the film you most related to, Paul Feig? Hmm. Uh, I think it would be Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Go on. Uh, yeah, because when I was a kid, again, you know, I, I'm I'm an older guy, so I saw these movies in the, the opening weekend because, again, we were such sci-fi nerds. But you know, I was a bullied kid, and felt like an outsider, and then watched this movie, and it was like, here's this story of this guy who's 
you know, he's not really an outsider, but he's kind of a weirdo, you know, Richard Dreyfuss's character. And just the idea that something from another world appreciates you so much <laughs> that they come to get you. Yeah. To me, that mo- that wasn't a movie. It was like an aspiration of what I wanted to happen in my life. I didn't kind of under, at that point in my life, I didn't understand movies. I knew what movies were, but, you know, living in Michigan, other than making Super 8 movies with my, my next door neighbor, like Hollywood movies were just sort of like things that happened. I don't know. It sounds like a weird thing to say, but like, I didn't process it. it. Like it was entertainment. Yeah. And so to me, it was just like, this is a roadmap for what I want to happen in my life. And so after that, like I would go up on the roof with my telescope and like sit up there every night waiting for an alien to come down and take me away. Like I was certain they wanted me because nobody appreciated me here. (laughs) And, and so I, I really, you know, and then when they put out the, uh, the special edition, which I still, mm-hmm. I still like the original one because when they did the special edition, I don't know if you know all this. I, I can go on and on about Close Encounters. Go on. No, I love this film. I'm a big, big fan of the film. Yeah. Well, they put out the original one and then apparently Spielberg was always upset because they wanted, he wanted to go inside the spaceship at the end and they didn't give him the budget to do it. So they finally, when a movie did so well, they let him make the special edition. So he shot inside it. But then to do that, for some reason, they cut out. They cut out that scene where he goes around th- like he's going to construct the mountain in his house. So he's like pulling up all the plants and throwing chicken wire and everything through the windows. Nice. But that got cut yeah. out. Yeah. And so when I saw it, I was like, wait, where's that scene? Because that was one of my favorite scenes. That's such a funny scene. That, and again, that brought the house down in the theater. But, uh, but, you know, but when I saw him go inside and there's this moment, you know, where he's just like so overcome with emotion and then all the, you know, light rains down mm-hmm. on him and he turns into an alien or whatever that again i was just like oh please let that be me someday <laughs> i'm glad it didn't happen i'd rather not be up with aliens right now <laughs> might have been great <laughs> well maybe uh, hollywood was your aliens exactly. hollywood was your aliens hollywood came and <laughs> got you if i can ask this look i understand everyone's life and career is a very very long journey with lots of things if you went from not knowing what films were to where you are now as a filmmaker was there a, a turning point? Did you start with stand-up? Was that what your first sort of way in? Yeah, I started with stand-up just because that was, you know, available. You could do it because anybody could do it, really. I mean, yeah. at least, meaning, you know, you didn't need a lot of resources to do it. You just had to have yeah. an act, which, you know, I started doing it at 15. Um, wow. And, uh, yeah, you know, I wasn't good <laughs> at 15 by, <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination. There's tapes of me, and they're terrible. But the audience is laughing because clearly they just think it's funny that this 15-year-old kid up there yeah. telling Dumb, dumb jokes but yeah it was uh you know that that was um, kind of uh, the eye opener for me to to begin to get my own material out there but i was always writing mm-hmm. things like i, I wrote, got really into writing sketches like you know because i right. was really into second city tv and saturday night live so i would write sketches that i could never do anywhere then i started doing like i got a tape recorder and i would do radio plays in my room and write these things and you know read them like old 1940s kind of you know detective plays and all this kind of thing so i was always trying to produce stuff in that way you know we'd make our super eight films but they always look so junky sadly um but you know so that's why i went off to usc film school because i finally okay i mean there's one i have to credit one movie for this but it's it's something that i know a movie that people mention on your show all the time so i'll breeze through it quickly but raiders of the lost ark because i went to the opening day First show at the Man Chinese Theater of, of Raiders of the Lost Ark and knew nothing about it. And I have never seen an audience be so affected throughout an entire movie 
as they were that. I mean, people were up on their feet, jumping out of their seats. When that boulder, which now is, you know, we've seen a gazillion times, came down, people literally, the whole theater jumped up and was screaming and yelling. And it was, I mean, I'm just going like, that's what a director can do. If a director can do that to an audience, I want in. Wow. Love that. Pull fake. What is the sexiest film ever made? <laughs> well, I you can only say, you know, for yourself. Um, for yourself. Uh, for myself, yeah. This is a, it was a hard one to figure this one out, but I think for me, it was risky business. Um, right, I would say. Yeah, because, I mean, first of all, Rebecca De Mornay was so gorgeous in that film. You know, and it's a wacky film. It kind of, it, it, it holds up, but it's also, you know, some of the, some of the morality of that movie is a little, yeah. little on the edge. It's problematic. Yeah, it's a little problematic, exactly. Yeah. But, but, I mean, those moments between she and Tom Cruise, just, I mean, especially I was, you know, I was a lonely college student watching that movie, you know, still a virgin and just like, oh, if I could ever, you know, have that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that one, that one, that one really got me. And, and my, that's my other favorite soundtrack of all time is the Risky Business, the Tangerine Dream soundtrack. Oh, and what was the first one? It was, was the, the, uh, the, the, conversation. the conversation. Right. Yeah, the David Chandler um, one. There's a subcategory, Paul Fig. I'm so sorry. The subcategory <laughs> question is uh, troubling boners worrying why don't. What's a film? <laughs> I hate. I mean, I hate myself. What the, what's a film you found arousing that you thought maybe you shouldn't have? <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I wasn't supposed to think it was arousing, but it just it seemed wrong. Yeah, <laughs> and it was. Oh my god! Like, you're making me choke, Brett. <laughs> so um, <laughs> it was a Kentucky Fried movie. <laughs> <laughs> the Zuckerberg brothers first movie yeah yeah because there's that one yeah and there, there was a couple of there's the one thing they did this the catholic high school girls in trouble it was it was a it was like a trailer for a fake movie but it was all just you know topless women it, 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 but the way they did it was you know yeah. at the time i was so young at the time and of course that's the movie you wish you could just <laughs> take home with you <laughs> <laughs> yeah. thank you thank you for answering that question i appreciate thank it thank you for let me just breeze through that exactly yeah. what <laughs> is objectively objectively the greatest film of all time maybe not your favorite but it's objectively the pinnacle of cinema. Yeah, well, <laughs> when you put it that way, the pinnacle of cinema, that makes it much harder for me to say this. Um, okay. No, it's, it's, a, it's a Wonderful Life to me. Is, is to me, the greatest movie because it does everything a movie is supposed to do. Every single thing it's supposed to do. It makes you laugh. It makes you cry. It makes you emotional. It makes you fall in love. It, it mm. makes you happy. Tears of joy. It makes you angry. Uh, I just, you know, I never got, and I didn't see it until I was in film school, um, just wandered into some other, they would show movies in this, uh, in the big theater, Norris Theater, which is this big, beautiful theater. They would just have them up for different classes to come in. And so I would wander in there and my, you know, when I had a free moment and just walk into a film and that one just happened to be up. And I'd heard about it. I was like, oh, no, I don't know if I want to watch this. And then it was just, you know, a sobbing mess at the end. <laughs> and, uh, and, went, and walked out of that theater going like, it, if I could make a movie like that, that would be, I would be so happy. Like, that's what I want my movies to be. And, you know, people would make fun of Frank Capra, you know, who called his stuff Capricorn and all that. And I was like, you know what? Fuck them. Like, I think these, yeah. this is, this is what movies should be. I, that, that For me, that's what I want movies to be. I want to be, entertain an audience, make them feel something, send them off feeling better about their lives than they did when they got in and, you know. Mm. Just be try to uplift the world in our own little way, and it's all jokes aside. It's fucking profound. It's a wonderful life. It's not a. Yeah. It's not a small message. It's like that is some deep shit. <laughs> it's really something. Yeah. 
Oh no, totally. Done in such a kind of a like a fun, sweet, small yeah. town way. But there's you know, and also it's done in the middle of the war, you know, and it was mm. you know all these you know filmmakers like Capra started Liberty Films, and it was supposed to be this big you know like cool thing. So it wasn't kind of like a Hallmark movie. It was definitely made by people who really loved and respected cinema and wanted to tell this take on a you know Christmas Carol. Yeah, love it. What is the film that you could or have watched the most over and over again? Well, there's two. Am I allowed to okay. cheat and say you can two? Have two. Okay. What well, one is a uh, uh, very unexpected, I think, which is Breakdown. Ever see Breakdown? The Kurt Russell film. Yes, the Kurt Russell movie. Exactly. Yes, I have seen that. It's a great. Film. I love that movie. If I'm flipping around and I come on that come across that movie it's just like okay well game over i gotta watch the whole thing yeah i have i have a great love of smart guys going up against dumb guys i find those movies <laughs> so much fun and this one's the ultimate one i mean everybody he encounters was terrible you know <laughs> when he's like choking that guy in the car he's got him tied his neck around the thing and he slams on the brakes and because that guy's so mean and terrible mm. and just you know it's it, my father when i was growing up my father loved the Charles Bronson movies, the Death Wish movies, right. for some reason. And he was like, oh, my. And it was like, Dad, that's really uncool. Like, it's like, the world could be like that. It's like, Dad, that's not cool to say that at all. But, but for him, that was, you know, he was a business owner and, you know, had to deal with, you know, shoplifters and theft right. all the time. So to him, that was great. But I don't know, just for me, Breakdown, it's just w- really well made. It's such a great, mm. I don't know, it's super fun. I actually got to be at a DJ event with Jonathan Mostow, who directed it years ago, and just, yeah. I think I freaked him out. I literally cornered him and talked to him about an hour about Breakdown. Yeah. He's like, wow, nobody ever talks about that movie. He's like, well, guess what? You met your that's, match, my friend. That's so nice. Well, it's one of them films that's quite rare, isn't it? Because it's, it's a very sort of sleek thriller. It's all quite contained and stunts, not kind of cgi yeah. not not cities exploding it's all one man oh, on a mission it's, it's just human drama like just i yeah. love hu- like human drama bodies in motion you know that's why i love dog day afternoon i mean that's just like yeah you know it's just people flying around and emotions are at the you know a thousand yeah. percent and it's just so great you know um so there's that one and then the other one that i've watched a million times and i love to the day i die is, is casino royale the the first um daniel craig james bond movie oh oh wow both action films yeah yeah i love i love action films i love you know hong kong cinema i like any again i like bodies in motion i like kinetic you know that kind of thing but with with you know emotion uh, involved yeah so um yeah casino royale was really great and it was also that thing of right from the beginning I, i don't quite even know you know i know a lot about film and yet i still can't it's like classical Hollywood action. It's not mm. fast cutting. It's very yeah. beautifully shot. And it's clear that there is stunts going on, which is my favorite thing that you feel yeah. the, the suspense of it. That's a real person jumping off a real thing. Totally. You know? It's not all that shaky cam shit, which I hate, which, yeah. you know, which I can't stand when I can't figure out the geography of, of, yeah. of stunts or, or a fight scene. And I go like, okay, it's one thing if you're covering up like an actor who just is lame and can't throw a punch. But I've seen it in movies where I know the people are doing good stunts and they're still mm. jiggling the camera all over the place. It's like, stop doing that. That's why I love Hong Kong yeah. cinema. Like, these long, you know, head-to-toe takes of these fights and people are doing all these moves. You go, yeah, they yeah. are doing it. I don't want to see it manufactured. I want to see it happening. Yeah. Hard. Maureen, what's this I hear about you going to film school? I am. 
I want to gain valuable skills while making films and developing my creativity. So I'm attending the New York Film Academy. I'm thinking about becoming one of them people that writes the numbers on the title board. NIFA is a very respected film school. I hear they offer a variety of options to meet your educational goals, whether you want a BFA or MFA degree or want to learn at a quicker pace with a short-term programme. That's right. They've got workshops and summer camps in filmmaking, acting, cinematography, screenwriting, producing, game design, musical theatre and more. Are you attending in New York? Might do. They have multiple campuses in some amazing locations like New York, LA, Miami, Italy, Australia and online. And you can learn more about the New York Film Academy at nyfa.edu. That's nyfa.edu. Thanks, Maureen. Can I give you a real incentive to lean into your decision to start working out and eating better? I'm Carl, co-founder of Body. That's B-O-D-I. And right now, if you sign up for a one-year subscription to Body, I want to make you an offer you can't refuse. I'll give you 65% off. Look, I know it's not easy to get fit and lose weight, especially if you're trying to figure it out by yourself, but we make it simple. Just follow a program for 20 to 30 minutes day by day and lose 5 to 10 pounds a month. We have over 120 programs that have been tested and proven to work, and almost 300,000 five-star reviews in the App Store to prove it. Body also has complete eating plans and thousands of healthy, delicious recipes. So stop guessing and start seeing results with Body, and I'll give you 65% off your annual membership right now so you save big on the app that CNN underscored named Best Fitness App. So don't wait. Sign up for a year of Body and save 65%. Just go to Body.com. That's Body with an I dot com. Agree. I don't like to be too negative, Paul Feig. Don't know if you do, but we'll do this fairly quick. What's the worst film you ever saw? <laughs> there's been a few. I mean, there's there's some that you watch just because you go, oh, this is so funny. This is so shitty. You know, you know, like Mystery Science Theater and those kind of things you watch. Yeah. That's it's fun. But I, I, I credit this as being the worst because we got bamboozled into it because it was right after Star Wars came out and all of us sci-fi nerds were just desperate for more stuff like that. They released this Japanese film in America called Battle Beyond the Stars. I was, in, I was thinking. Oh that, my yeah. god! It's the worst movie ever because it, it just—it's a total ripoff of Star of Star Wars, yeah. but so poorly done. <laughs> and these like weird spaceships that look like egg beaters, and they're kind of coming, and they got all these weird special effects, and then Robert Vaughn's in the middle of it somehow, just like completely. <laughs> Just collecting a paycheck. I mean, just right. like you just sits there with this kind of set face, like and like he's totally steering a steering a spaceship, and they just keep like turning the camera, and he's just staring. You know, it's like okay, he didn't want to be there. Nobody wanted to be there, so we were very upset about that because we really got bamboozled into it, thinking it was going to be as good as Star Wars. Yeah. So that was on us. That was on us. Clearly, Paul Feig, you're in comedy. You've made some of the great comedies of all time. What's the <laughs> film that made you laugh the most? I mean, it's a tough one because there's been a lot of films that have made me laugh over my, the course of my life. But I think the one I sort of pound for pound laughed the most in, like, just heartily was uh, mm-hmm. Napoleon Dynamite. Oh, wow. I wow. just, I, and it's funny because I didn't see it. My wife saw it first and she came back and she said, I think I just saw your new favorite movie. Because <laughs> I'd seen ads for it. I was like, eh, I don't know. It looks kind of weird. She goes, you're going to love this movie. And <laughs> she goes, I want to go with you just to hear you laugh. And I literally, I just laughed from top to bottom of that film it just made me john heater's performance is so hilarious and it's just so well made and just that the weird just the weird time that they take to just have him like sigh you know and be upset about something and just i just thought it was spectacular that's great 
Can I ask you this? When you're making something like Bridesmaid or, or any of your films, when they're really, really funny and you're in the edit and you're editing and editing going over the same bit, I actually don't know what you're going to answer. Do you stop finding it funny or does it remain, if it's really funny, is it always funny or does yeah. it then become just a, a technical exercise? Like, Well, I mean, it, you know, again, we're watching things, you know, a thousand times by the time mm. the movie's done, but it will still always kind of make us laugh, I, I have to say. There are times when you're yeah. kind of like, okay, you know, you just know it's coming. But it depends, you know, what we do is we do a lot of test screenings when we're putting those movies together. So we'll kind of be clinical about it, although we're always trying to fine-tune, oh, it'd be funnier, like, lose two frames. Oh, now that's funnier, you know, because the timing yeah. just jumps it or whatever. But then it's really when we then go and do the, the test screening, because my editor, Brent White, and I sit in the middle of the audience. And right. so we can be surrounded by the audience and hear them laughing kind of see them see how they're reacting and all that and yes. that's when it's super fun because then you're like then you then you're like watching it for the first time you know when yeah. it gets a laugh when it doesn't get a laugh it's the worst thing in the world <laughs> um and we have plenty of those where you go like this is gonna kill and like oh wow that got nothing okay well let's <laughs> let's replace that <laughs> but you know we, we you never i i love my movies all the way up until I'm at the premiere watching them. And then the minute I'm at the premiere, something in my head goes, I'm never going to watch this movie again. And really? I usually don't. Yeah. Just, it's like well, a release. It's yeah. like, now, and now you belong to the world. Get off, my, out of my, head. Get off my plate. Exactly. <laughs> get off get my out of my head. head. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, one other question, if I may. You have made three, yeah. I believe, three films with the incredible Melissa McCarthy. What is your theory on why she is so fucking funny? Do you have a theory, or you just think she is? No, I mean, I, I she's a great actress first and foremost, and yeah. so she's able to be hilarious in ways that you believe. You know, there are some people that are funny because they're big and over the top, and you go, mm. "Oh, I don't believe that character is real, but I really think they're funny doing." You know, it's like Groucho Marx. You know, like you know, Groucho's yeah. hilarious, but you don't go like, "Oh, that's a really nuanced character." <laughs> yeah. He's just a guy telling jokes, you know. But but yeah. that it's fantastic, you know, that kind of thing. But um, yeah, she's she's a great actor, so she can make anything feel real. But then she can create these very extreme characters that have their own kind of inner logic that's just funny and twisted. Um, you know, actually, we've made four movies together. I was just thinking, we did Bridesmaids, The Heat, Spy, and Ghostbusters, and oh, you know, cool, each yeah. time she did something different. And um, you know, for me, it, it's once I get to know somebody who's funny, I then go, oh, I want to show other sides of them. Mm-hmm. You know, and we had done we had done uh, Bridesmaids and The Heat, where she played very aggressive characters. Yeah. And so I remember some snarky reviewers, you know, going, oh, she only does one thing, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, well, screw them. So, you know, because in real life, Melissa's the sweetest person you've ever met. Mm. And so that's why I wrote, one of the reasons I wrote Spy is like, oh, I want to show off the real Melissa, yeah. who's kind of her in the beginning of that movie. Like, she's very sweet and kind of, oh, doesn't want to insult anybody and all that. And so like, oh, let's take that person and then turn them into a tiger because they have to have to turn yeah. into a tiger or they're going to be killed. So, um yeah, but she's just, her brain works amazingly in a funny way, but always trying to find the real. And again, I just think it's the combination of funny and real that really takes a hilarious person and puts them to the next level. Steve Carell's the same way, you know, same yeah. kind of thing. Excellent, excellent answer. You've been excellent and wonderful, and I really appreciate you. you. However, when you, you got to a certain age and you felt a bit like Maud in Harold and Maud, you thought, Time's up for me, but I don't want to be in public. And whatever happens, I don't want to have a funny death. So you quietly <laughs> took yourself off to the woods near your house. You just went to the woods, 
and you lay down in the leaves and you waited until you were consumed by animals. <laughs> but it, For the icy hand funny. of death to come in. <laughs> it wasn't funny. It was very serious. These animals very seriously ate you. Well, what and, kind of animal ate me? It could be funny if it was, you know, I got eaten by mice or something. No, it was a very serious looking like wolves. and Okay, and, but you were very calm about it, and they ate you. And, and uh, but also, as as requested, it wasn't long that till people found you. I was walking along with a coffin, you know what I'm like. And I I, I go by your house, and I go, it's Paul, Paul around, and they say, no, he went for a walk in the woods. And I go, oh, I think I know what that means. <laughs> okay, come with me, guys. We go out to the woods. There's bits of your corpse everywhere, oh, been moved man. around by animals. Some what of it's. Mess. It's a mess. I pick up all the bits I can, pick up extra bits of leaves, extra bits of wood, some tree comes in. I stuff it all in the coffin. Coffin is now full. It's more full than I expected. There is really only enough room to be able to slip one DVD into the side with you to take across to the other side. And on the other side, it's movie night every night. What film are you going to show the people of heaven when it is your movie night? Paul Feig, please. Um, I think it would be uh, What's Up, Doc? What a twist. (laughs) <laughs> the Peter Bogdanovich film. What's up? Yes. yes. Barbara yeah. Streisand. Mm-hmm. Ryan O'Neill. Ryan Madeline Kahn. Uh, uh, Kenneth Mars. Yep. Uh, Austin Pemble- Pembleton. Pemberton. Uh, yeah. It's, it, 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 you know, it was, it was um, Bogdanovich's nod to uh, screwball comedies. Mm-hmm. I, at the point when I saw What's Up Doc, didn't realize there were screwball comedies. So to me, I was just like, who is this genius who thought of all this hilarious stuff? But you would think once you learn about all the, all, you know, yeah. see other screwball comedies, you go like, oh, it's not as good. It holds up so well. I, this is the one I screened also on the double bill with um, the Human Tornado at the uh, Awesome Film Festival. And it destroyed. I mean, it brought the house down. And um, I was like, I'm so happy that this movie still completely works. Because it's nuts. It's big and nutty. You know, but yeah. the stakes are really fun, and the romance in the middle of it is really cute, and and uh, it's got one of my favorite action scenes of all time. The car chase through through uh, San Francisco is still one of the greatest comedy action sequences ever on film. I will go to my go into that coffin where I've been torn <laughs> apart by animals, believing that. <laughs> uh, Paul Feig, thank you so much for your time. Uh, t- tell the people the two things that they should be looking out for, if not more. Before you go. Yeah, there's a few things. Um, yes, uh, um, Welcome to Flatch is on Fox right now and is also streaming on Hulu. Uh, and then uh, Minx, which is a great show um, about the uh, first uh, very fictional retelling of the, uh, uh, the origins of Playgirl magazine. Super funny, and there's lots of nudity in it too, so enjoy that. Um, <laughs> You're uh, welcome. <laughs> yeah, and, and Welcome to Flatch is actually uh, the American version of the great BBC uh, yeah. docuseries called This Country. And it's very, very funny. May I pause you for a minute just to say, I watched the trailer for Welcome to Flats, which is very funny. And I was so delighted. You have one of my favorite people in it, Chrissy Chula. You cast Chrissy Chula, who is fucking funny. So that was a very good choice. Excellent. No, we've got an amazing cast. It's really, I'm thrilled. Um, Yeah, so there's that. And then also uh, come uh, September, I've got a movie coming out. On Netflix, called The School for Good and Evil, which is a giant special effects fantasy. Ugh. It's kind of uh, Princess Bride meets Frozen with a bit of Harry Potter thrown into it. And uh, what? I'm very excited about that. Yeah, it's based that on a series good. of books. 
And then, uh, then I also have a gin out right now um, <laughs> that you can get uh, in the UK and the US. Um, it's called Artingstall's Gin. Go to artingstallsgin.com to find out where you can get it. If you're in, in the UK, you can get it from the Whiskey Exchange. Uh, and if you're here in the States, you can get it a lot of places. Go to, once again, artingstallsgin.com and you'll find out where to get it. Uh, we've won lots of awards for it. It's a beautiful... Yes, have you ever seen the bottle? This is the bottle. There it is. That is a good-looking bottle. Beautiful bottle. Why is it called Artingstalls? What does that mean? Forgive my ignorance. That was my mother's maiden name, my mom's maiden oh. name, who was, who was uh, Canadian, and then her, her family is, was British. So uh, it's, wow. it's, a, it's a London dry, and it's got London roots. So there you go. Nice. And then, then finally, I've got a yes. cocktail book coming out, a cocktail book coming out in November. There you go. Called called, called Cocktail Time, based on uh, the the Instagram uh, cocktail show, daily show that I did during the the pandemic, and um, lots of the 125 recipes, a lot of original recipes, advice on how to throw throw cocktail parties, how to stock your bar, and also lots of really embarrassing, funny stories from my life. In with the drinks. So there you go. Who wouldn't want Fantastic. that? Fantastic. I want that. Uh, Paul Fig, what a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. It really Thank means you. a lot to me. I know it's a big deal. Everyone is very busy. Thank you for giving me all this time. My pleasure. This was so much fun. I think what you do here is great, and you're an amazing host um, who informed me that I have died twice during the show. So I, <laughs> I'm, I, I like that. It makes me appreciate life. <laughs> uh, I appreciate you. Have a wonderful day. Good day to you, sir. Thank you, my friend. <laughs> Excellent. So that was episode 190. Head over to patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein for the extra 15 minutes of chat and secrets with Paul. Go to Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating, but write about the film that means the most to you and why. That's about it. You know the rest of it. Thank you so much for everyone who listens. I hope you're all doing well. Thank you so much to Paul for giving me the time. Thanks to Natasha for sorting it out. Thanks to Scroobius Pip and the Distraction Pieces Network. Thanks to Buddy Peace for producing it. Thanks to Acast for hosting it. Thanks to Adam Richardson for the graphics and Lisa Leiden for the photography. Come and join me next week. Who's next week? Oh, I'll tell you what. Someone else brilliant, isn't it? It's always someone brilliant. I don't have bad people on this show. Only good people. Do you know what I mean? No dickheads allowed. So whoever it is next week, you're in for a treat. I hope you're all well. Lots of love to you all. So that is it for now. But in the meantime, have a lovely week. And please, now more than ever, be excellent to each other. Sometimes I dream of becoming an actor. Have you ever dreamt of becoming an actor? Maureen, what is it you think I'd do for a living? Never mind, sounds like you need the New York Film Academy. NIFA offers workshops, BFA and MFA degrees and summer camps in filmmaking, acting, journalism and more, online and on campuses across the globe. To make films alongside industry professionals, explore more at nyfa.edu. Thanks, Brett. Thank you, Maureen. 
You deserve to treat yourself. So turn your tax refund into a U-fund and give yourself a Straight Talk Wireless Extended Silver Unlimited plan and get a new Samsung Galaxy A14 on them. You can get a great everyday value on wireless with Straight Talk's unlimited plan starting at $25 a line per month for four lines. You'll save so much, you'll be enjoying that refund all year long. It's the refund that keeps on refunding. Find Straight Talk at straighttalk.com or at your local Walmart store. Taxes and fees not included. Offer valid through 41424 while supplies last. Online only. Must purchase a Straight Talk extended Silver Unlimited plan to qualify. Limit of five phones per customer. Family plan discount with four lines all on the Silver Unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount.